Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Run for the Song Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Drum for the Song Podcast. I am your host, Dane Campbell, and I've got an extra special guest today. It's Mr. Charlie Benante, who is the drummer in Anthrax. And yay! Yay! <laughs> it's a pretty it's a pretty big deal for my podcast, man. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Um, and yeah, I, I love your work personally. Spend a lot of time listening to your stuff, seen you live many times. Um, the first time was when you were supporting Motorhead um, back in the day. Um, it was, I should have even checked the album. The first album, um, Safe Home, that album. Oh, that was, uh, the We Come For You All record. We Have Come For You From Your All, yeah. That's an amazing album. Don't, don't, don't ask me what year it was, because I... No, I, did, I, 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 didn't know myself, I didn't know myself, so I didn't, I didn't expect you to know. But yeah, man, thanks for coming on. I hope you're well. Um, yeah, so yeah, we talk about drums a lot, but we don't talk, we're not going to talk about drums for too long. But how did your initial drum journey begin? And who were your biggest influences at the very start? Uh, I guess my drum journey, uh, if uh, if we could call it that, started when I was very, very small. Um, I mean, I was four years old and I was playing, like playing a kit. Um, and then uh, my dad got me a, a, a Gretsch kit when I was five years old. He uh, bought it from the family that lived across the way from us, they had three girls and they had a little band that they would play at like churches and, and things like that, little functions. And the oldest daughter who was the drummer was going away to college. So the band broke up. So they had no use for the, for the drum kit anymore. And my dad got it for me. And then I had this huge big Gretsch kit and um, it just went on from there. I mean, my first exposure to, like visually seeing a band would probably be the Beatles um, and uh, mimicking that. And then my sisters would play music around the house. So I would just absorb all that stuff and, you know, play the music that I heard. And that's basically where it started. That's excellent, man. And I know you're a guitarist as well. Um, and we'll talk about that in a little bit because I, I didn't even know this until recently. I think it's common knowledge that you, you've actually written a lot of the Anthrax guitar stuff. I, yeah. I had, and I was blown away when I first found that out. And it's very impressive. So uh, I, Thank think you. That, I think that's quite a unique story in this world of drummers when obviously that everyone knows you as a drummer, but, right. and you've got, you know, very well established guitar players in the band, but yet you're right in, a lot of or most of the parts i don't know maybe we can talk about that later on but um yeah i think that's really impressive (laughs) well i mean what how it happened was i couldn't really uh convey the what i was hearing in my head through drumming to someone else so i had to teach myself how to play another instrument which turned out to be guitar because it came very natural to me it just it was easy um 
And that's how I would do it. I would just put tons of riffs on tapes and then um, just later on, listen back and compile them and just make a song out of them and then bring it to the band. And that's how it happened. And basically it was after our first album uh, when we lost our singer and we went in to start writing, which would be the spreading the disease record, our second album and Scott, basically took over a lot of the lyrics. So that was his department. So I stepped up and took over the main musical, you know, side of things. And that's how it was. And that's how it is. That's so cool, man. That's so cool. And such, it's great that you're still doing that to this day. So um, you're talking about the early days of Anthrax. What were you, did you, were you in any bands before Anthrax? Yeah. I was in cover bands like when I was 15 years old, I was playing like kind of bars and stuff around the area. Um, And uh, I think that's where uh, sometimes people call me the jukebox because I'll be sitting in the dressing room just playing all different songs. Um, Hmm. And I think it was because of, uh, you know, prior bands where I would have to learn uh, you know, a, a huge repertoire of songs. I mean, I'm talking everything from like the cars to uh, the police to cheap trick to like UK to yes. I mean, it was just, we just ran it all down and I would do like four sets a night. So I would start at like nine o'clock and then end up uh, like two, two in the morning. But um, wow. it was, it was a, uh, it was fun and I didn't care. I was, I was 15, 16 years old playing, you know. Well, exactly. It's, it's a dream when you're that kind of age to, it's, it's much cooler than doing homework. <laughs> so, well, well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically, <laughs> that's exactly how it is. You know, it's like during the day you'd be like Peter Parker and then at night you'd be Spider-Man type of thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, man. That's a great comparison. That's cool. So, um, I guess, yeah, you were playing all covers. And then I guess when, when you formed Anthrax, like it was kind of before I was born. So I, I've gone back to kind of work out the thrash movement, how you were a big part of that. So were there anyone in particular or any particular drummers or any particular bands that influenced the style of your drumming? And I guess the music that you were playing at the time. Uh, yes, absolutely. And I often say this, that the the music that was coming out of England was the music that I was more attracted to. I would, uh, in, in, in New York, I lived in one of the, one of the boroughs, I lived in the Bronx. So, um, there was Bronx, Queens, Brooklyn, Staten, you know, and then Manhattan. So I would go down to Manhattan to certain record stores to get the papers that were coming out of England, like sounds and ME, things like that and find out what Motorhead were doing, uh, you know, Iron Maiden, all that stuff. So the drummers that I was getting into back then were like uh, Phil from Motorhead. Uh, uh, Filthy just had this style that he just looked like he was attacking the drums and he was doing this with two kick drums. And it just sounded so amazing to me. And I just had to learn how to do it. Simon Phillips was another drummer that I would uh, I looked up to. I thought he was awesome on those Judas Priest records. Um, uh, the drummer back in the day for Saxon, 
Uh, uh, Pete Gill, was it? Pete, Pete Gill, yes. Because yeah, he, he was in Motorhead for a while as well. I don't know if you knew that, but he was. Yeah, yeah yes. Oh, I saw that. I actually saw them with Pete Gill. Oh, wow. Um, um, but like the first time I saw Motorhead was with the classic lineup uh, with Eddie and Phil. And I believe it was their last show oh, wow. uh, in, Amer- in America. And um, uh, they also opened up for Ozzy about a year or two prior to that uh, on the Ace of Spades tour. So, Getting back to your question, yes, the drummers that I was looking up to were most of those guys from England and some of them from America, like you know Alex Van Halen, uh, Terry Bozio, uh, Steve Smith. So um, just tried to incorporate a little bit of what they did into what I was doing. Um, and that's basically how a lot of that fast speed metal or thrash metal drumming came about. Yeah, great. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I can understand being around those bands at the time. It must have been a massive impact because that was kind of a new style as well, I guess. And then I guess it, it all formed. I guess a lot of the other guys in the other bands were influenced by the same stuff, which created that kind of movement um, that we call thrash. Um, but yeah, I yeah. think it's, it's pretty cool, man. And um, one thing I found out about that, you claim to have invented the blast beat. So, well, I. I have to clarify this. I didn't say I invented it, but okay. it's, uh, it was the first time that it appeared on a record was on the SOD record. And other people um, ha- have said that, uh, yes, of course, it's the first time it appeared on a, on a, on a record. Um, and basically what it was is uh, the bass player in the band SOD, uh, we had this song called Milk. And we basically collaborated on this drum drum beat, and it turned out to be called the blast beat. Um, there was another band from New York, a hardcore band called New York City Mayhem, and they would have these short bursts of uh, uh, in their songs, and kind of like uh, DRI or this other band called uh, Adrenaline Overdose from New Jersey, and. Um, yeah, they would they were doing something similar. And then on the first SOD record on the song Milk is where that beat is. And it became very popular to this day. And yeah. and that's it. But I never <laughs> actually said that I was sitting in my room and I, you know, I, I we just kind of created this thing that, and we put it on the record, but other people were doing little bursts like that too. And you okay. know, it's funny, someone put a picture. Or um, they showed a video of a jazz drummer back in like 1964 or something doing something similar. And it's like, all right, dude, I get it. You know uh-huh. what I mean? It's like, did, did do you think this was the thing that, you know, you know, all of a sudden everybody was doing these blast beats because of this jazz drummer? No, a lot of it was because of that SOD record. Yeah, so that's it. Just wanted to clarify it. No, no, that's, I'm glad you did. Um, I, it's the first time I heard about it the other day. And yeah, you, your your style is quite like I even listening to like the old Anthrax stuff, the modern stuff. Like you've got a, such a unique style and very well, very varied with what you do. And I think it's great and it fits the style perfectly. And obviously, the other element of your playing that we've briefly mentioned is your kind of double bass pedal. Well, do you use two kick drums, right? Yeah. So you use actually two two kick drums. Like I do a little bit of it with my, my band and my dad, kind of like 
kind of like motorhead style overkill kind of speed but i've never yeah. been able to kind of get past that kind of speed um is there any particular like techniques that you use because i know there's so many out there there's ankle technique and the swivel technique sliding and is it a particular way that you prefer to play that fast kick drum style so basically back in the day when we were actually doing it um i would do that swivel technique but i didn't even realize i was doing it but i was doing it uh because my legs were getting tired and basically you have to come up with other forms uh because sometimes you're up there and you're running out of gas or you know some some nights your legs just aren't what they were the night before Mm. so you need to come up with different variations of achieving the same type of uh you know uh sound or or beat that you're trying to do so i would do that a lot but back in the day i used to play uh these camco pedals which were really fast but the problem with them is they didn't have a base on the bottom so if you're like flying on them they would kind of like disengage and then boom they'd come loose and then you'd be screwed so what i would have to do is tape it to the bottom so that that piece would stay i know you um, mean the two kind of bendy metal kind of connecting pieces, kind of, yeah. yeah i know what you mean they just kind of clamp inside a little hole i know what you exactly mean. yeah and if you're playing at really high speeds yeah sometimes they would come out and uh ruin your whole thing yeah totally <laughs> um but nowadays i use different pedals i uh you know i have these speed cobras which are more of a long board yeah. which at first it was really difficult for me to get used to um and uh you know and then tama also sent me some newer pedals and i've been playing with those and i've been doing this different technique where i'm flying on those so i can't wait to get it out there and kind of use them with the band uh, and just see what uh you know the possibilities are yeah by the by any chance are they the dynasync pedals they're the one yeah because they do look they look really interesting with the direct drive is it so there's no chain Correct. It's a it's a a direct drive, and uh, there actually is a no. There is no chain on it. I'm looking at them right now. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's supposedly meant to be yeah, like a faster reaction to your foot. Yeah. So I've kind of I've never tried those, and I've always been thinking maybe that's my answer to kind of build up a little bit of speed. But it's obviously my technique, big style. But uh, well, I was I was trying to to do this technique with my other pedals, the chain drive, and it just wasn't happening. Hmm. And then I called up uh, my friend Derek Roddy and he was uh, we were going back and forth with stuff. And he said, with those direct drives, you have to change the beater position and certain other positioning and then it'll come to you. And sure enough, it did. He was absolutely right. That's awesome. So you've got to, I guess, adjust to the kind of style of pedal you play and then master it, spend the time mastering it and then hopefully yeah for instance on on a chain drive i would have my pedal way back uh my beater way back and uh it's actually uh, a few years ago i started wearing like these long kind of soccer socks that would come up all the way to my uh thigh because i would come i would finish a show and i'd be like sitting down backstage and my legs would be bleeding because the wooden beater would be hitting my my shin so hard but i didn't even feel it because you know the adrenaline's going (laughs) and then i'm like what the hell and uh sure enough i so i wear these long socks now and it totally protects it 
That's man. So you'd rather keep the beat. You'd rather keep the beat at that position and and put up with the pain. Now, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Right. No. No pain. No pain. No gain. You know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Is it painful? Yeah. You know, drumming is probably <laughs> very painful. I've had injuries, and I I believe you had like a carpal tunnel injury at one point. Um, oh yeah. Which which well it sounds like really really serious. Um, I was wondering because for me, like warming up is a big thing that I've learned over the years from years of not doing it. Prior to that injury, were you a big warm-up guy or or, or not so much maybe? Or okay, what? so I, I would definitely say that I the discipline to warm for warming up that that I had was about 65%. Like I would always try to warm up, but I could never um I could never calm down enough to sit there and warm up for 45 minutes. So uh I would have to go in a, a completely separate room from everybody else because I was always engaging in what was going on, you know, and I couldn't stop that to just donate the time to warm up. So I would have to go into another room or a corner of the room and just kind of zone out. It's the only way I could do it and play to some music, you know? Yeah. Um, but the problem, sometimes the problem is if you're going to, if your first song is like a smoker, like when you're hitting it really hard, it's the first song that you're playing, you have to be warmed up because I find that if I go out there cold, man, it just, it, it just doesn't come across for me as a drummer. It, I'm not ready. You know, it takes me a couple of songs to actually warm up. And then I'm like, Oh, I wish that first song was now sixth or stuff like that. You know? So to this day, I have to warm up. I just have to. Yeah. So do, do you do anything with your feet or is it more hands or do you, you know, some drummers it's have both. little practice kits. Yes. Yeah, so you do as much as you can. I have a rolling kit that we, that we set up backstage and I'll just put my headphones on and I'll just zone out and just oh. practice rudiments. And I'll practice the first song because I want to hit it like as best as I possibly could. Yeah. But you know, it's so, it's so difficult sometimes because if, um, let's say you're playing a festival and the weather is not too kind, you know, and it's a little chilly out there. It's hard for me to, to get warmed up. Totally. You, you know what I'm, you know what I'm of talking course. about? A UK yeah. festival, probably <laughs> normally yeah, a UK festival. <laughs> little bit of rain, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's really interesting. You've actually got a rolling kit that you take around on tour. And obviously that's, I'd consider that a luxury option, it's not always possible for you know certain bands to have the space or room backstage for things like that. So that's great that you get to do that. Um, yeah, and, and I, I can don't, imagine this helps a lot. Yeah, <laughs> and it's not it's not every night because yes, the room size basically dictates if it can go. You know, yeah, so I totally get. I would that. love it. So if I don't, I just have a pad. Yeah, ready. Yeah, that's cool. That's good to know. And um, yeah, a little bit about that the injury itself then you had an operation to to fix that and then you were much better afterwards oh yeah 100 yeah. percent um it just got it just got to be like uh i was suffering so much from it because i would you know go out and start playing the show and then by the fifth song my hand would just go numb i couldn't oh feel God. the stick and um wow. i had I tried so many different things from acupuncture to, you know, physical therapy. I even had a, a can of like, you know, the, the spray air that when you turn it upside down, it gets, it 
gets really cold, I would do that to try and get the feeling back. I, right. I tried so many things, but I knew at the end of the day, I was going to have to have the surgery and, uh, Pisces symbols, uh, referred me to a doctor that one of their other drummers went to and, uh, was, was such a, a great doctor talked me through the whole thing and my recovery was quick. And, uh, to this day, it's like, awesome. Amazing. That's, that's, that's so cool to hear. And it's good to know that there are options, I guess, if it happens to any other drummers in the future or, or any drummers that might be struggling with it now. And you know, there, yeah. is, help, there is help out there. So go see a doctor. Um, and make sure you find a good doctor a good because I've, yeah. I've seen drummers that have had scars from here to there Ooh. and I, you can't even see anything no. like wh where he went in. So uh, you have to be careful. Yeah. That's, that's a good point actually. Yeah. That's great. Um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of it for the injury side of things. I've had shoulder injuries and things like that, but I'm, I'm pretty good now. And I think, you know, doing the warm warming up and the stretching really helps. Um, so obviously we've had the worst year in history. Um, you've obviously been very busy doing various things. You've been doing the, the music, the music covers with different um, different musicians, which is really great. So there's loads of those online if anyone wants to check it out. Um, and then you're also releasing an album, which I guess is a, is it a compilation of those actual recordings or do you like read? Yeah, it is those. So it's, it's, yeah. called, it's called Silver Linings, right? So do you want to tell us a little bit about that and what, what kind of songs are on it? And other stuff? Uh, so, so basically uh, last year around February, uh, end of February, uh, everything kind of just shut down here in America. You guys had it a, a little sooner than we did. And we were watching what was going on in Italy and Spain and the UK. And I was like, oh, man, this is not good, you know. And then it happened in America. Um, and I was consumed with news 24-7. I was watching it. I was on my phone. And it started to take a toll on me because I was getting so depressed. And, uh, man, it just was a bad time. Uh, and my girlfriend, Carla, said, you got to shut this off because it's really, really fucking you up. You know, uh, go, go, go be creative, go do something, go play again. So what I did was I set up a, a rolling kit in my art room and I just started playing again as if like back in the day when I would come home from school and just play my drums in my room with headphones on along to records and whatever. And Neil Peart had, had just passed away and that yeah, was right. still on my mind. And I was pretty bummed about that whole thing. I felt just, I just felt terrible. Like, man, and this, this year is just so bad. I called up two of my friends, Alex Golnick and Ra, who's the bass player for Suicidal. And I said, hey, you want to do a rush jam? I think I figured out how to do it, yada, yada, yada. And we did it. So we did a little piece of the song called YYZ. We put a video to it and we put it out. And the response was like crazy. And after that, we did another Rush song. And now I'm having people from bands write me, text me, uh -huh. hit me up online. Like, how, how are you doing this? How are you doing this? I don't want to give the secret. So I just, I basically <laughs> told them, here's how you do it. And, and then boom, everybody was, was starting to do it. But for me, it wasn't about, uh, 
it wasn't about like just putting, you know, uh, videos out. It was about going back to certain songs that I loved when I was younger. And I knew other musicians were probably going through the same thing I was going through, that withdrawal, that depression, that that need to entertain ourselves and other people. And that was another big thing. The people uh, who loved them, the response that I was getting was was like overwhelming. So uh, it just snowballed. And then I got some other people involved. And then before you knew it, I had a bunch of songs that I did. And people kept asking, are you going to put this out? Are you going to put this out? And I said, no, I'm not. This is, they're out now. It's just this way. And then it just got kind of, uh, it just became overwhelming. So I decided to just put out a vinyl version of it, which is what's coming out on May 14th. And it's called Silver Linings because Silver Linings to me, uh, I looked, when things were really bleak and dark, I looked for those silver linings. And there are silver linings during this whole terrible year. So that's how the title came about. That's just that's a great story with, with regards to the title. And it totally makes sense now. And um, yeah, I, I've watched a few of those videos. They're re- really impressive, really hard songs as well. So you can tell everyone involved has really put a lot of effort into every one of those. So um, yeah, make sure if you're listening, pick that up on May the 14th. Um, yeah. Yeah. They, like if it's a vinyl version, is it available on CD as well? Or is it just vinyl? Just fine. Uh, vinyl, vinyl, and download, and download. of course streaming. streaming yeah. uh, we didn't, do, we didn't do a CD because um, we we wanted it to be kind of unique with just the vinyl, and of course the vinyl is uh, comes in two different colors, and just trying to make it uh, special. And the one thing I didn't want to do was put the COVID anywhere on the record because it, I didn't want that negative. But if people look into it, the colors on the cover are kind of the colors of that COVID. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, so it's like, well, that's as close as I want to get to the, that, the COVID thing. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. So um, and going back to what you said about yeah, reading the news, I, I did the same thing. I was... Oh, for two weeks, it was just constant watching the news, checking the phone. What was this prime minister saying? And then it got to a point and I was like, I can't do anything about this. I just, I'm just going to try and ignore it all and just get on with my life. Um, obviously, we, we had to make a lot of sacrifices. Uh, I ended up getting like, like a, a normal job for the time being, which I'm still doing, unfortunately. But, um, but in, with regards to the, the news, I just thought, well, I don't want to just see how many people have died today. I, it's really sorry to, you know, it's really bad for the families of all these people, but I can't do anything about it. And I can just do my part and social distance, wear my mask. I can just do my part to try and avoid spreading it. Um, but with regards to the news, yeah, I think it just brings everyone down. And a lot of people I know were struggling maybe a few months into it. Um, you know, a lot of them and now on medication or antidepressants and it's all due to that. And I think luckily I, I think I like mentally, I got away from it. Okay. by keeping myself busy. I started this podcast. One of the things I did, uh, which was about a year ago. My first episode was with Nigel from Saxon. I don't know if you know, you probably, you've probably met cross paths many times. So yeah, yeah. he, he kind of kept me going and, and then it's just built since and it's kept me very busy. So it keeps me from watching the news. So 
I, I can totally feel where you were coming from there. Hi, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Drum for the Song. I just wanted to briefly interrupt the interview to tell you about my Patreon page, which is a place where you can support the podcast and, of course, support myself. You can um, sign up to one of the three tiers on there. There's one that's £3 a month, one that is £5 a month, and one that is £10 a month. There are loads and loads of exclusive benefits to signing up, including bonus episodes, merch discounts, Christmas card for myself. Um, if you sign up to the top tier, I'll send you a pair of my drumsticks. Um, loads of other stuff. So go check it out. It's patreon.com forward slash drum for the song. And um, another way you could support me if you're interested, if you're not bothered about the Patreon thing, if you go to my official website, drumforthesong.com, you can send a donation via PayPal. So, um, yeah, thanks for watching this and enjoy the rest of the show. Drum for the Song podcast. And I guess another thing you've been doing, which I'm assuming you were doing a lot of anyways, is your your amazing artwork. Um, and you and your girlfriend, Carla, have been doing... Have you been doing collaborations or have you just been doing shows together uh, uh, well we do we did uh, some collaborations but uh, uh during the whole year of covid in between doing the music and the, and the video stuff i was also busy doing a lot of artwork um that she once again pushed me to do right um because i was for me art was something that was kind of i don't know it was kind of personal and i didn't really want to put it all out there uh because there's a there's a bit of a fear involved and uh, i always said maybe that's why i'm a drummer and not a guitar player because i like the security of those things surrounding me um totally but i i think that uh the art aspect of it i was always uh you know i feared that so i kind of broke out of that and created a bunch of art and we did a show, we did an art show and it was very successful and it, uh, it broke, you know, it broke that fear in me. So, um, I but see. I mean, I've, I've always done the artwork for the band, uh, throughout the years, whether it be the, the album covers, you know, designing them or doing them or t-shirt merchandise. I've always been the one who's always been that guy to do the art directing, uh, in the band. So, that is one aspect of it that I completely love. Um, yeah. And I'll st continue to do it to this day. Oh, that's so cool, man. And um, I, I noticed that you can buy prints from your website if anyone's interested in taking a look. Is that correct? Yeah. So Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Some of them are like, uh, I put them on this really nice paper and, uh, you know, they're all numbered and stuff. And then, of course, you can get the actual ones in the frame. But um but we're thinking about doing another show either in New York or LA, like in the next couple of, uh, couple of months. Oh, wow. So yeah. Anyone who's into that, well, everyone likes art. So, um, and anyone can appreciate yeah. this. So, and I think it was really cool. Some of the styles I saw, like the, there's one in particular with like the, the, like a, the naked cartoon character. I, <laughs> I thought that was like, that's pretty cool. So, yeah, well, like, <laughs> the, the, the the reason why I did that one is because 
Carla, her art always involves uh, women with boobs. Always, right. everything is always boob, boob, boob. <laughs> okay. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do my version of one of yours, but I'm going to do like the 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 moms uh, or the female characters on a lot of the cartoons and I'll do them at a beach, yeah. uh, you know? So that's how that came about. That that she inspired that. No, that was funny, man. That's cool. And uh, for, for anyone <laughs> for anyone listening, we're talking about Carla from Butcher Babies, which is her band. Yes. Um, yeah. Which yeah, a great band from what I've seen. So make sure you check those guys out. Um, yeah, some really cool songs that I've heard, and I want to go and check out some more of the the albums in full now. So that's cool. So um, we kind of know that your drum kit. You, I was going to ask basically, what are you using at the moment? You've put, you've been pretty loyal to your brands over the years, as far as I'm aware. Because some, oh yeah, some bands, some drummers, this kind of change symbols every other year, and I don't really understand that. So, what? Just for anyone who doesn't know, what what do you use at the moment? Uh, I use exactly the same thing I used back in 1986. Nice. Um, I stay loyal. Uh, Peisty symbols to me are my my preference i think they are the best symbol um and uh there's something that happens when i hit one of their symbols that doesn't happen when i hit other symbols um there's just kind of like this power uh the same goes with tama drums tama i've been with them since 86 and they're one of the best companies and they make great drums and they make amazing hardware and I just think Tama have always been uh, on the cutting edge of of, uh, of drumming, and I'll stay with them till the end. You know, um, of right. course, Evans Evans drum heads. Um, I love Evans drum heads. Quick a quick story about Evans drum heads. We were going into the studio, and we set up the the kit where the studio said was the sweet spot. Here's where. All the drummers are always record because this is the best sound that they get. So we did that and the drums didn't sound good. I'm like, what's going on here? So we moved them to another side. They still didn't sound good. We moved them four times. We still couldn't get the drums to sing, you know? Um, we took a break. There was a, uh, a drum shop two blocks down. I went to go get a coffee and go to the drum shop and uh, talk to... I even remember his name, Greg. <laughs> and I was, t- I was telling him what had happened in the studio. And he's like, which drum heads are you using? And I told him which ones we were using. He's like, get rid of them. He gave me a set of Evans drum heads to use. He said, take these, go put them on, on the drum kit. Wow. <sighs> okay. I'll do it. You know? So we did it. We changed all the heads. We moved the drums back to the original spot. And the drums started to sing. It was like night and day. From that moment on, I was like, that's it. I'll never go back to those other drum heads. And I've been with Evans ever since. That's some story. That's mad. Yeah. Because I I always kind of thought that as long as you tune them well enough, you can get any of the top brands to sound pretty nice. But that's an interesting story. Really good. Really good. Well, I thought... I used to think that I used to think the same thing. Um, but I will be honest with you on tour, I was getting so many batches of bad heads wow. that it, it, it became a problem. 
And I think that was just the last straw for me. Okay, fair enough. We won't, we won't mention names. Um, what about drumsticks? Vic Firth. Oh, okay. I've been with uh, Vic Firth, and they, they do a signature stick for me, uh, which is a, is a it's an odd-looking stick, but it works for me because um, uh, basically a lot, of, a lot of our songs, I'm crash-riding on my 20-inch rude, and it would just eat up and tear away uh, at the stick. But now the stick that I have, it's, um, I'll show you. Oh, one wow. second. Great. <laughs> Thank you. And we're back. Yeah. So All right. you I can see. see. Yeah. Oh, wow. See, I could just crash all night with this and yeah. it never dwindles down. And of course they have the, the grip, which uh dude it saves the day for me because so many times drum sticks would just fly out of my hand you know <laughs> but yeah but this stick um ah, right. it's yeah. uh very metal so you so you hit the edge of the symbol with the, the thicker part which is why yeah. it, would, it would last a lot longer than otherwise yeah no, i get that. i do a lot of crash yeah. crashing as well crash riding so my, yeah my, i love that sound oh, I, yeah. I love that uh early ringo sound of just crash riding you know, totally. Alex Van Halen does that too a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I very rarely use my ride like a ride. I've always either crashed my ride or ride it on a crash. I don't really do much else. But I guess that's just part of this. I like to fill. I think I feel like I'm filling the sound more than I don't know. Yeah, just power. Exactly. It. It's like I, I always considered it like a really huge hi hat. Um, you know, when you're opening the hi-hat a little bit, it's just getting that nice, like, wash, yeah, you know? Man. But on a on an 18 or a 20-inch cymbal, it, it just fills the whole song up. Totally. No, I totally know that. And, um, yeah, your cymbals always sound great. And, yeah, I use Peisty myself, and I, I totally agree that nothing – well, I don't think anything comes close personally. And I just like cons the consistency of them, which I, I, I assume you're familiar with doing all the touring that you've done when you get a replacement for something that you know maybe it has broken or a new tour it'll sound exactly the same as the one you had before which i don't think is true oh, wow. in other, uh, yeah other brands are not the same apparently they, they they vary a lot more yeah they do vary a lot more and uh that's that's one thing that i love about pisces if i break a, a 16 inch rude and i replace it with the exact same 16 inch rude, it's it's going to be almost exactly the same yeah. so there's nothing lost totally and no that's 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 one of the benefits in my opinion but um yeah let's talk about your your coffee then i'm sure that there are a lot of coffee lovers out there how did you get into that where is it available and tell us about where like where you source it and stuff like that <laughs> <laughs> well the, the the coffee thing comes uh comes from i grew up in uh and of course, in an Italian American house where coffee was brewing all the time, whether it be you know regular coffee or cappuccino or uh, you know espresso, whatever, yeah. always. Um, and about fifteen years ago, or maybe more, uh, I was interested in doing some coffee, and Dave Mustaine actually hit me up about doing something with coffee, and we did it. He he had his blend. I had my blend, and I think uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin had a blend too. Really? Don't ask me how that came. Yeah. yeah. And, and 
that happened. And then I, I don't know if Dave lost, lost interest in it, but it just kind of went away. But I kept it going. And then I found a roaster in New Jersey and I worked with them and I was just doing it very independently uh, until someone put me in touch with the Chicago coffee company called Dark Matter. And uh, they started putting my coffee out and that they do it to this day. And there's, there was three blends. There was a, a, a real strong dark roast. There's like a more of a milder blend. And then we had one that mixed my coffee with uh, Fernet Branca, uh, which is like a, a digestive, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, but, uh, that one's very rare. We don't do that as much anymore. Um, and yeah, the hardest part for me is getting the coffee overseas to, let's say, the UK, because yeah. um, they kill us with, with uh, shipping. Uh, we're trying to find a distributor over there that we could send you know, in bulk and then have it shipped from there, which yeah. would make it a lot easier. But it's, it's just, it's obscene to have people order it from, you know, from the UK or Europe and then having to pay such insane amount of like uh, shipping prices. So mm-hmm. if anybody's listening, yeah, that's you good. Want point. Dis- if, if you want to distribute it. <laughs> yeah. If anyone's in that kind of industry and would be interested, because I'm sure there would be a big market for it. Well, in Europe, for a start and yeah. then the, the amount of coffee we drink nowadays is insane but um yeah I'd, I'd love to i'd love to try it someday so i'll wait till you can sort that out or whether i'm over the states at some point i should have sampled yeah. it when you did the was it the um the mega cruise or the jericho cruise that you were doing it because we were on that as me- well yeah mega, yeah i know mega cruise i know uh yeah, yeah. we did uh, i did the morning coffee thing yeah. um, we would have a little uh talk and drink coffee and it was it was awesome I but yeah i mean yeah, that's cool I, I i love um i remember like like when starbucks first hit in the uk and i was so happy about that <laughs> but to to be quite honest with you i always loved the coffee over there you know uh in europe and in the uk i always thought you guys did coffee really well yeah. so um but having a, a Starbucks there is great because for me, if there's one thing I love about it, it's familiar. And the coffee that I would get in New York or Chicago is the same exact that I'm going to get in the UK. That's true. And the crazy thing about the UK is like I could go to a Starbucks on the corner of one street, walk a block down. There's another Starbucks across the street and then walk another block down. And there's another one yeah. on the next corner. It's like insane. Yeah. And they're packed. Everywhere, absolutely everywhere. <laughs> There's drive-throughs now. I don't know if you get the drive-through ones. And oh yeah, you got loads of those. And and like they, like, and then there's another brand, Costa, which is probably just as big. And there's millions mm-hmm. of them everywhere as well. So, yeah, it's not. Well, it's, it, it's strange because uh, I know Costa, of course, okay. but um, I, I I have had it, but for some reason I still go back to the Starbucks. But yeah. even here in America. There's always been like the Dunkin' Donuts, uh, Starbucks, and then on the West Coast they have the the Coffee Bean, ah, okay, uh, yeah, yeah. which is a was a very big chain over there. Um, but yeah, it's it's crazy. Nice, nice, nice. Uh, well, yeah, quite like one myself. But um, yeah, what <laughs> if you got before a little bit of time left? So if you wouldn't mind, I've got a Patreon page, and one of the benefits benefits of some of the tiers is that they get to ask you a question. So I'm going to ask some questions on their behalf, if that's all right. If you've got, you've got a little. Oh bit yeah, yeah, yep. 
yep. you're quite, you were quite popular, so I've got a bit, bit of a big list. Um, there's one specific question which I'm really interested in hearing your response to. Um, Caught in a Mosh, obviously one of your most popular songs, um, one of my patrons, Kenny Kendrick, has been wondering what the hell you do 41 seconds in. It's like a little fill. And it's like a China yeah. and it's China and a snare fill. And he's he's never been able to break it down to understand to be able to play it himself. Is there any way you can somehow break that down <laughs> without a drum kit in front of you? I don't know. I'll give him wow, advice. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. I mean, that that fill involves a china, a snare drum, and kick drums. So yeah. there is a there is a kick drums and sometimes live I will do a triplet off the both kick drums. So it's that's basically all it is but it's just sped up and the kick drums are going so you just got to catch that little triplet in it and like if i if i could break it down in front of you with the on the kit i would do it but i don't have that no no that luxury right now i thought it might be difficult and um he did say or maybe you can I, he said he does, he's probably not the only person who wants to know. So maybe you could put something on your YouTube channel someday. That's what he, that's what he yeah. said. That, would, that could be cool. Cause your, your YouTube channel is great, man. It's got loads of stuff on there. Um, yeah. Yeah. I want to, I want to put more on there, but you know, the problem with me is I just forget sometimes yeah, to yeah. do it. <laughs> it's like, Oh man, uh, I want to do that. And then it's, I forget. And I just don't keep up with it because something else happens and I'm yeah. drawn over here, you know? So, but yeah, that's it. That's a, it's a def, it's definitely a good question uh, about that drum fill because it sounds more busy than it actually is. Yeah. Cause I had to listen to it for him. I was aware I'm familiar with the song anyway, but I never really thought about that particular part. And I wasn't sure whether or how many like beats it went over. It sounded like it was like a, a weird amount of, beats or maybe like three beats and a half i don't know but it, it didn't seem like it was but it might maybe we count it different yeah end, it's, it's like that's, the end because that song is it, it it has a um some guitar players like when we were first showing like let's say like uh when rob came in the band uh he was playing it on the end right uh so Sometimes it sounds like it's backwards. So it's like um I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes you can reverse it. So it's and it it's like, uh oh, it's wrong. You gotta turn it around. So yeah, so the the drum fill would be like um You know what I mean? Nice, yeah, that's cool. I think that, and that'll be really helpful for him. I'm sure to work out if he slows that down. Yeah, and that's great, man. Thanks so much. That's the best best answer I could have hoped for. <laughs> but I will, I will do like maybe I will do a little thing on the YouTube channel with that. Yeah, that'd be cool, man. That'd be great. Um, yeah. Then the next question is from Paul Hutchins. He's given me three, but I'm only gonna. Um, we've only got time for one, really. So you've. You've mentioned Rush. You've covered a few Rush songs, which were awesome. My favorite was the cover of Red Barchetta. Which Rush track would you like to cover that you haven't got round to as of yet? 
Um, we just did uh, subdivisions, which was always one that I really wanted to do because it's one of my favorite Rush songs. And like uh, Neil's performance in that song is is just top notch. Every every fill is so memorable to me, um, and his sound on that song too always gives me goosebumps. But it's those three fills at the end of the song that just just always make me so happy you know <laughs> the way he ends it uh and um he was just the best so i was happy we did subdivisions uh and that may be the last one um that we do and all the rush songs actually they don't appear on silver linings because they will appear on a record store day release an oh. ep a rush ep oh, um which i'm really happy about and uh so yeah well thanks for that question no that's cool cool um this one's from dean monaghan who's actually in the states he's asking i guess he's asking about your experience of touring the states um are there certain areas of the states that are more up for rock than other areas i.e the northeast the southwest coasts etc uh i find that the midwest um is always hungry uh west coast too um you know sometimes we go down the south and it's kind of hit or miss um because it's uh a lot of it it has a uh, i don't know a country vibe to it you know yeah. and that type of music does really well down there mm -hmm. but you know sometimes we'll um we'll play a festival in nashville or we'll play a festival in florida and it's 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 fucking awesome you know but it, it's strange to me how shows like that like a big festival will bring out people like that like i always say they come out of the woodwork but when you're on tour like you don't get as many as you would as the, the the festivals do it's always strange to me it's like well if you love the music so much why wouldn't you come to as much as you possibly could get you know yeah i find that that's strange as well and I think it's, I can understand there must be such a variation in, in the US because even in the UK, like we play in London and maybe everyone's not up for it as much, but then we go up to Scotland and everyone's going crazy. As you guys know, you, you released the live album in uh, yeah. the Kings of Scotland. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, and yeah, in Glasgow and the, the Glaswegians are absolutely crazy. So, and I guess we're a really small country. I live in Wales. Wales crowds are pretty good, I must say. But yeah, yeah north I of England, yeah, north of England, and Scotland just seem to take it up to another level. <laughs> is... Well, you know, it's funny because we always found that when we would come and play a string of shows in the UK, Newcastle was always nuts. Yeah, you know what I mean. Totally. And then you get to Birmingham, you know, nuts. London is always amazing, but they are a bit reserved too. You know? Yeah, that's what I meant. I think, as in, there'd always be a lot of people there, and I guess singing and stuff. But like, yeah, more kind of calm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I never understood that, but yeah. uh, it's the same thing with New York. You know, cool people. You get so much coming through. Yeah, you get so much coming through that it's kind of yeah. Know, I guess okay. Who's this? You know, what's next? I guess, yeah, part of it is that they it's not a luxury, I suppose, because they have bands playing <coughs> all the time every night. So I guess it's the places like Newcastle, which don't get many big bands coming through. 
that are, I guess right. in in a weird corner of the country that they really appreciate you when you do. So um, yeah, that, yeah. That, that that makes total sense. Um, yeah, obviously Anthrax hasn't played live for a while, but I've got another question from Yari from Finland. How does your set differ from the state of euphoria times? I guess. Uh, well, we have a lot more songs since yeah. then. Yeah, totally. But, um, but you know, so I've been working on these like uh, re-releases or reissues throughout the years. And it's really helped me to um, go back to those records and kind of embrace them. Because, you know, sometimes when you put a record out, you're just so done with it that you don't want to hear it as much as you've been hearing it. Yeah. Because then you have to go out and play certain songs from the record over and over again. So I would always, man, I'd always give the album Stady for you a little, a bit of a hard time because I always felt it was kind of rushed and stuff. But okay. when I went back to do the reissue of it, I spent so much time with it that I found a newfound love for it and um, really enjoyed, you know, that record. And it brought me back to the time of when we were making it and things were great, you know, and um, I found a bunch of um, leftover things from, from that time and put it on there. And I just was, you know, again, it, it gave me a, a, a new appreciation for that record and, and the other ones too. Like I did the persistence one, which I, I loved working on that one and then i think i'm going to start doing one of the one of the next ones it could be the killer bees or uh we'll see how that yeah, goes that's awesome man do you, do you have a favorite record that you've made no i don't have a favorite record because they each mean something to me you know yeah. uh there's elements of them that i completely just you know i remember the time and what was going on around it so that adds to my excitement over it um but yeah i mean you know everybody always points out among the living and i always said that that's the record that gave us our career you know that's a good point yeah so that's a very important one um obviously that yeah totally and um that's a great record as and, well <laughs> and we have a comic book coming out about that yes. album oh right that's what um, I was about. yeah tell us about that which is which is uh well i always wanted to do a comic book let's put that out there and i just couldn't get it together and then z2 comics came to us with this idea of doing a comic about the, the among the living album but we would get different writers for each song so whatever the song was about on the record doesn't necessarily pertain to the story that's going to be in the comic uh i'm the law i think is probably one of the only ones that is true to the song yeah has judge judge dread in it and um uh the best part of that one for me is i got to do the cover of that specific uh ideas and song um nice. and scott scott wrote the comic he wrote the story um so we got a bunch of people to contribute to it so we have gerard and mikey way from my chemical romance doing a story whoa uh, Rob Zombie's doing a story. Corey Taylor did a story. Um, um, our friend Joe Troman did a story from uh, uh, Fall Out Boy. Uh, Brian Posehn. And then we got these uh, amazing artists to also contribute. So I was just like, 
wow, I can't believe like we have all the all these ingredients going into this thing. And then I saw it the other day and I was just blown away. I was just like, I can't believe this actually happened, you know? So I'm so excited about it. And I think once fans see it and get a hold of it, they're going to be uh, just as happy as I am. Yeah, that sounds amazing. When When is it released? Is it official yet? When is it being released? Uh, I believe it's going to be released this summer. Okay, so we'll, we'll keep an eye out for that. Um, yeah. I'm sure we all know about it on social media and stuff like that. But yeah, that sounds awesome. It's such a cool idea with all the collaborators. So, yeah, I'll, I'll pick up a copy myself, definitely. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's awesome. That's amazing, man. Um, almost finished now. We've got, I got a quick, quick fire round for you. So it's 10 questions. You've got to answer pretty quickly. And just so the listeners can get to know you a little bit more. Um, do you prefer hot or cold weather? <laughs> hot. Cool. Daytime or nighttime? Nighttime. Sweet or savory? Savory. I probably know the answer to this. Guitar or bass? Guitar. Nylon or wood tip drumsticks? Wood. Yeah. John Bonham or Neil Peart? Oh. I'm going to go Neil. Okay. Beatles or Rolling Stones? Beatles. Clear or coated drum heads? Oh. Clear. Okay. Big or small venue? Big. Cool. Your favorite time signature to play? 7-4. Cool. Nice. Nice answers there. And um, that's great. And the, the, the very last thing that I ask all of my guests, if you could create your dream band with yourself on drums, who would you get to play the other instruments? They can be dead or alive, but they can't be members of Anthrax. Wow. Yes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I would love to have a band I would like to have two different bands, okay? Okay. And the one band would feature Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones and um, Paul Rogers singing. Nice. Uh, that would be my hard rock band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then my other band would consist of uh, Johnny Marr on guitar. Oh, cool. Um, John Deacon on bass. And probably Dave Dave from Depeche Mode would be the singer. Wow. Very interesting. No, that's cool. You came up with those pretty quickly as well. So maybe, have you been asked that before? I'm <laughs> no, I, I, I'm just ready. <laughs> yeah, man. That's awesome. And I, that's, I think that's all I really wanted to talk about. Um, I was going to ask you a little bit what you thought about drum triggers when people trigger bass drums and stuff like that. Have you got any thoughts about that? Yeah, I have no problem with it. Yeah. I, uh, as a matter of fact, I started doing that in uh, the 90s um, out of despair, <laughs> I should say. Um, I would spend too long on sound checks, getting the right sound. Um, and the, the kick drums were always a problem for me because I never liked to put too much padding in my kick drums. So... I, it was I, just, it was a mess. Too much boom. And you get too much boomy too, yeah. sounds. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So 
I discovered one of the earlier triggers um, and D-drum were, were making them. So I put two D-drum triggers on my kick drum with this one, one of the first D-drum modules that they came out with, and it completely saved the day for me. Uh, mm. All that, all those hours spending in the sound check were now reduced to just Great. minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could just dial it in. I don't have to hear the actual acoustic kit. All I'm hearing is Great. the trigger kits. So to this day, I still use that. Oh, cool. I, I didn't know that. But, um, yeah. but you, you, the reason you're doing it is more to, to get a consistent sound rather, rather than to play faster, which I think what I've, after doing a lot of research about the pedals, a lot of guys are saying, once you reach a certain BPM, you have to trigger it. It's not possible to actually play a bass drum pedal that fast. I don't know. That's where I, I, I was quite shocked by that with all these new pedals that are coming out. They're saying, once yeah. You get, yeah, once you get past like 210 BPM, you need, you, you can only play with triggers. It's not possible otherwise, but I don't know, but that's cool that you use. I don't know. <laughs> sounds great, man. It sounds great. And um, yeah, thanks for everything you've done. Thanks for taking the time. Um, we look forward to everything you have coming up. Uh, with that the silver linings the comic book and whatever else comes in the future and hopefully you know we'll all get to play live soon and um we'll yes. catch each other at a festival or a show one day that would be great and uh be nice to yeah, say hello, well, hello in person give uh give love to your dad and thank you for doing this and i'm sure we'll see each other very soon yeah that'd be great man cool thanks man have a great day cheers cheers bro thanks bye-bye Run for the Song Podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Drum for the Song Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please consider subscribing to my YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you could leave me a review or leave a comment, that would be fantastic too. You can also follow me on social media at Drum for the Song or at Dane underscore drums. If you're on Facebook, you can search for Dane Campbell Drummer or join the Drum for the Song official Facebook group. If you'd like to support the podcast, you could consider buying some merchandise from drumforthesong.com or consider supporting me via Patreon for additional content. Any support like this is gratefully appreciated, but I would like to give extra special thanks to my top tier Groovemaster patrons who are listed in the description below. Thanks so much for listening or watching this far, and if you're a drummer, don't forget to drum for the song.